For thousands of years, every morning and evening, Jewish people have prayed these well-known words as a way of expressing their devotion to God. They're called the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And as for you, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. We're going to look at the last word, strength. The Hebrew word is ma'od, and it occurs some 300 times in the scriptures, and it doesn't actually mean strength. There is a perfectly good word for strength in Hebrew, and ma'od is not it. In fact, the Shema is one of the only places in the whole Bible where ma'od is translated as strength. So, what's up with that? The most common meaning of ma'od is very or much. It's what grammar nerds call an adverb, a word that comes alongside other words to augment their meaning. For example, in Genesis chapter 1, God looks at the world that he's made and six times he calls it good. But then the climactic seventh time, he says, it is ma'od good. That is, very good. Later in Genesis, in the story of Noah, the flood waters keep rising and they become ma'od powerful or extremely powerful over the land. In the story of Cain and Abel, Cain wasn't just angry at his brother, he was ma'od angry. Or when Saul became the king of Israel, he was ma'od happy. So you can see why ma'od occurs hundreds of times in the Bible. It's a really common Hebrew word that intensifies the meaning of other words. Very this, or really that. However, biblical authors could use ma'od in ways that are unique. Like when they want to increase a word's force to total capacity, they'll say ma'od twice. So Jacob became ma'od ma'od wealthy with flocks and camels and donkeys and servants. Or the Israelite spies went to investigate the promised land and they say, the land we pass through is ma'od ma'od good. So it's pretty clear, ma'od doesn't mean strength in terms of muscle power, but rather very or much. So let's come back to the Shema, where people are called to love God with all of their heart, that is their will and affections, and with all of their soul, that is their whole life and physical being, and with all of their ma'od, that is with all of their muchness. And while that sounds kind of funny, you also kind of get it. If ma'od can intensify any word's meaning to total capacity, then this final thing that you use to love God isn't a thing at all. It's actually everything. Loving God with your ma'od means devoting every possibility, opportunity, and capacity that you have to honoring God and loving your neighbor as yourself. It's the most wide and expansive word in the Shema. Ma'od can refer to almost anything. Which raises one last and really fascinating point. Because this word was capable of many nuances of meaning, ancient Jewish communities interpreted ma'od in the Shema in different ways. So the ancient Jewish scholars who translated the Hebrew Bible into Greek, when they came to ma'od in the Shema, they translated it with the Greek word dunamis, that is power or strength. This is the interpretation adopted by most modern translations. But if you look at the ancient Aramaic translations of the Hebrew Bible, you'll discover that these scholars interpreted ma'od to mean wealth. Money is a concrete thing that opens up all kinds of opportunities to love God by giving away resources. And when Jesus was asked about the most important command in scripture, he quoted the Shema. And he used two words to unpack the meaning of ma'od. He said, love God with all of your mind and with all of your power. Both are human capacities that can be used to love God in an infinite number of ways. So which of these interpretations of ma'od is right? Does it mean strength or wealth or mind? That's the wrong question. The word ma'od doesn't limit the number of ways you can show love for God, just the opposite. The point is that everything in a person's life, 
Every moment and every opportunity, every ability and capacity offers a chance to love and honor the one who made you. It's a call to love God with all of your muchness. And that's the meaning of strength in the Shema. I know you guys are disappointed that I'm not Larry, and nobody's more disappointed <laughs> than me, uh, but it gets worse, you guys. What if third service isn't my favorite? <laughs> You'd be like, bring Carolina back out here. Oh man, I'm just kidding. My name is Buzz. I'm the pastor for young adults and families here, and I'm really privileged to be able to uh, bring a close to our Shema series. I have really loved going through this short but powerful passage to unpack how exactly we can love the Lord, our God, with everything that is within us. And we've tried to pull out all the stops for this series. We've been doing some amazing blog posts. Um, in fact, my wife Tara has one that went up today, I think. And you can read about that, how to love the Lord your God in the everyday and the mundane. We've been doing our audio podcast, and the one that goes up today is amazing. It's with my friend Natalie, uh, a mom here at the church, talking about how does she love the Lord with her strength, with her ma'od, when she's out of strength. It's a good message for us. Sometimes we feel at the end of our rope, don't we? And the Lord calls us to go farther. That will encourage you. You can uh, catch that on our Three Crosses app on the media tab. And even this morning, if you're an app user, you'll find that you can take notes or follow along here with our message this morning. Because I think the Lord has a good word for us from Deuteronomy chapter 6. And as we've been going through the Shema, we read that it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. And some of us might be thinking here at the end of the series, I'm so glad that it's done because I'm sick of learning about new and interesting ways to love God. I want to just check them off my list and call it good. I want to have my heart, okay, done. I want to have my soul, okay, I'm done. And I want to have my strength. And finally, we'll be done and we can just quit loving God. Quit stretching. Um, and if that's you, I have some bad news because we don't get to stop loving God. This is our first point this morning, that we don't stop. Before I worked here at the church, I used to teach uh, college classes. And every college student has two main questions when they enter. And if you're in college, you know exactly the questions that people ask their teacher. Number one, do you take attendance? This is important, right? We need to know, can I, do I have to come? So I don't have to come, I'm not going to come, right? Do you take attendance? I took attendance. I was struck. And then they ask, what must I do to get an A? They don't want to do one ounce more work than the minimum necessary. Maybe you don't even want an A. Maybe you just want to pass. What must I do to pass, right? And then you want to do like just that and then like a little bit less and hope the professor like rounds it up to get an A. What is the minimum that I must do to get an A? Right? People are always asking their teachers this. And... Sometimes I feel like we do that with our love for God as well. Like, what's the minimum that I need to do to really be loving the Lord and have him hand me an A? I, mean, I don't even want an A. I just want to pass, you know. What's the minimum that I need to do? The Shema doesn't allow us to do that. It wants us to go beyond and love the Lord with our intensity, our muchness, our everything. I know that we're good at going above and beyond because I've seen some areas when people do this. So when you want to pull out all the stops, you can do it. 
Right. One time I took my kids to San Leandro to a frozen yogurt place. You guys know this place? Dangerous place, right? Because they charge you by weight. So you can actually do as much frozen yogurt and toppings as you want. And then you just pay for it at the end, right? And so then bring my kids. We have four kids. It's a lot of kids. I'm aware of that. And then we turn them loose in the frozen yogurt store. And my wife is like, oh, you should give all the kids like their own. And they have like a gallon-sized bucket for you to fill up. There's no small. It's just big. And, you know, when you're three or five, like my kids, like they don't know when to stop on the yogurt machine. They're just pulling it out. You know, it's piling all in there. And I'm like, guys, who's going to pay for that? I'm going to take it out of your allowance, you know. And then their mom is like, oh, they're kids. Let them have fun. And I was like, fine, I'll take it out of your allowance, you know. And they're going crazy on the frozen yogurt. And then you get to the toppings, you know, and if you've ever gone to this frozen yogurt place, you should stop because my kids had their hands like all up in the toppings. I didn't tell anybody. They couldn't do anything about it. You know, they're putting on stuff. They put on kiwi. Who even likes kiwi? I don't know. Put it on there. Put on some graham cracker crust. Get some coconut going on in there. And then they put like white chocolate chips or uh, frozen, or not frozen, uh, sour gummy worms, which is gross. And then they hit the cold ice cream and it's like grosser and they love it. Like put them on there and they put it on there. 3,000 pounds, right? We made it. You know, even adults get carried away with my friend Chris and Chris was doing the same thing. He's got coconut, he's got chocolate, he's got Swedish fish. It's like, Chris, do you like Swedish fish? No, I don't, but I just couldn't help myself. Put a little, put a little extra on it. You know, that's what the kids say. Be extra, you know. I know I'm old because I say like, that's what the kids say. Um, I hope soon to have a lawn and I can yell at the kids to get off it. It's going to be my next step. But that's what people mean. Let's be extra, be precise, go above and beyond in what you do, right? Love the Lord with all your strength. Love your frozen yogurt with all your strength, you know. And then I get up there, hard-hearted dad, and I'm like, what's the minimum frozen yogurt that I can buy and still be happy? You know, so like a little thing of vanilla, one coconut shard, and one kiwi. That's all the money that I had left. I was so hard-hearted. My kids were having fun and enjoying their dessert, and I'm just worried about how much do we have to pay for it, right? And we, we bring this to the Lord as well. How little can I do and still love the Lord? We can go above and beyond when we want, but we don't always want to. But what if the Shema were not to limit us in the categories that we should love God, but rather encourage us to extend and expound beyond it, loving the Lord with everything? What if heart and soul and strength weren't the sum total of what we should do, but they were just the start? I think that's the better message of the Shema. This is a list which illustrates it is not an exhaustive list. This is a figure of speech we call a pleonasm. Like, here are some examples, but you're not limited to these examples. You know, I uh, interpreted the scriptures one uh, spring and Valentine's Day, right? And my wife had given me a list of examples of what to do for Valentine's Day. You can love me with like a card or flowers or nice things like that. And being a student of the scriptures, I thought that's all she wants. That's the list, right? That's the whole list. She only wants a card. She only wants flowers, right? And wrong. She did not want those things. She wanted me to go above and beyond on Valentine's Day. And I was like, Tara, don't you understand? Valentine's Day is a hallmark fraud perpetrated to sell greeting cards. And she's like, no, it's not that way at all. You need to go above and beyond. You need to be creative. You need to be extra. You need to put a little cherry on top. There's no limitation to loving the Lord. You don't get to stop. Call it good enough. You don't get to stop. 
So let me ask you here this morning. Are you putting a little extra on your love for God? Or are you mailing in bare minimum work and hoping that it passes? A lot of us mail in the minimum and hope that we pass. But if the Shema can be believed, and it can, love God with everything. Put your whole self into it. Sometimes we think of loving God as something that happens on the inside of us and we just need to kind of stir up more like oomph kind of internally. And that's really what love means for the Lord. But I think if we understand it only in that way, we get it wrong because our love for God isn't just a personal, private affair. Our love for God should be something that changes everything about us and everything around us. How long could you go on loving God, saying that you love him, but nobody can actually tell. It's like this secret that you're keeping. At a certain point, that internal feeling that you have has to leak out into your life and into your actions and into your words. In fact, this is what we mean at Three Crosses when we say life transformation through following Christ. You are changed. You are transformed. There's something that's different. John Ortberg says it this way, you shouldn't have to work hard to tell people about your priorities because they leak out into how you spend your time and how you spend your finances. If you really love God, do you prioritize that and how you act and what you do? You know, we already talked about being in college. Let's go further back into the traumatic past, all the way to middle school. You guys remember middle school? If you're in middle school in here, hang in there, man. Those are some tough years. They are tough. You know, I remember being in middle school and then sometimes what would happen, this never happened to me. I was way too holy for this, but like if somebody would develop like a crush on a girl, right? Oh, man. You guys know what I'm talking about over here. And uh, you get this crush. And what happens when you have a crush, right? It becomes a state secret, right? You don't want anyone to know. You don't want to spend any time with your crush. No way. You don't want to look directly at your crush. No chance. You certainly don't want anybody finding out so they can talk about it behind your back. That would be, you got to take time out of school for that. Like you got to, and then you, you finally get the courage and you pass the note, you know, do you like me? Check one. Yes. No. <laughs> there was one uh, note in our middle school and then the girl passed it back and it said, maybe. And she checked the maybe. And I'm like, what do you do with that? Continue to hide it, you know. But we treat our relationship with God sometimes in this same way that it's like we have a crush on God. We love him. We want to be with him, but we don't want to tell anybody. We certainly don't want anybody to know. We don't want to be seen with him. And we don't want anybody talking about that behind my back, that I love the Lord and I actually act like it. That would be horrible. It's a secret. But I don't think that's truly loving the Lord if you keep it trapped inside. It has to leak out into your actions and into your words. How long could you say, I love the Lord, and then just be mean to everyone? You can't do that. How long can you say, I love the Lord with all of my heart, but you haven't really let loose in worship in years? How long could you say, I have this peace that comes with following Jesus Christ, but you gossip about your friends and you're not trustworthy? That's not loving the Lord with all of your strength. You might feel something on the inside, but does it leak out into how you spend your time and your treasure and impact the world around you? 
you know, here in the Bay Area, I have noticed some secret fans or fake fans popping up, and it's going to get more adversarial, even when I told you you might not be my favorite service, so buckle the old safety belt there, right? But I've seen a lot in the Bay Area, I'm not a Bay Area native, but people are wearing these blue t-shirts, right? And they like warriors on there, and I was like, that person is trying to tell me that they are a warrior fan. And I want to ask these people, these people, do you watch the game? You just have the t-shirt. Do you know the players? Or do you just have the t-shirt? Do you follow them on Twitter? Do you read blogs? Or do you just have the t-shirt? Are you a real Warrior fan and you know about Run TMC and those 90s teams that like were good but they weren't actually that good? Or do you just have the t-shirt? At what point are you a fan and at what point are you just telling me you're a fan? You know, I come from Oklahoma and I'm a Thunder fan and that's a secret I keep like deep inside, you know? <laughs> like the middle school crush, especially around here. Like, whew, I'm not trying to wear my Westbrook t-shirt down to the Coliseum. Like, that's a tough day. That's a tough day, you know? I keep it inside. You know, and speaking of putting a little extra on it, why were the Warriors not content to love the God with Steph Curry and they had to go extra and steal Kevin Durant from my team? The war <laughs> Come on, you guys. Extra level. But if you have to tell somebody you're a fan and you're wearing the shirt, like, are you really a fan? Do you spend your time? Do you spend your money? Do you spend your life following this team? And a lot of us are fans and we love it and that's great, of course. And there's nothing wrong with being a Warrior fan. But when we treat God that way, we want to wear the shirt when it's convenient to wear the shirt, but not actually spend our time or money following the Lord. Or when we, it's inconvenient to wear the t-shirt, like my Westbrook t-shirt, we just don't put it on. I don't think that's loving the Lord with all of your strength to say, when convenient, I'll be a fan. When inconvenient, not a fan. In fact, if you read a little bit further in Deuteronomy chapter 6, Moses himself speaks to this idea that you can't be a fan when convenient. In verses 6 through 9, just after he's done telling us, love the Lord with all your heart and soul and strength, he says, these commands that I give to you today should be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and write them on your gates. This is another pleonasm. When can you choose to turn this off? You can't ever turn it off. When is the time you get to go incognito? No time. When is the time you can do what you want and forget about the Lord? There's no space in there for that. When do you love the Lord? All the time. Always, morning to night, when you're going to work, when you're coming home from work, when you're at work, when you're putting on your clothes, when you're decorating your house, Deuteronomy 6 says, all the time. When you talk to your kids or when you honor your spouse or when you have integrity at work, all of it, all the time, not just when convenient, all the time. And by the way, I don't think this is just for us or just for God, but I think there's people in our life that really need us to be fans on the team all the time. You know, if the Lord really has changed you and if you really do love him, we have a responsibility to extend that to our world, don't we? Who in your life needs to see that you love the Lord and that you live it out? Who needs the love that God has loved you with extended to them? Who needs the peace that you have in your life extended to them? 
Who needs the forgiveness that you have received from God extended to them? Who needs the prayers that you have a privilege to pray each day extended to them? It's not just personal, private, inside. It affects everything we do and everyone around us. At a certain point, though, you might be saying, you know, buzz, enough is enough. What about balance? What about self-care? What if you get carried away? How much is too much? But I think there are no limitations to the love that we can show God. No limitations to the love that we should show God. There's a beautiful story in the Gospel of Mark about a woman who pushed the boundaries of what it meant to love Jesus. And I'd love to read it for you here this morning as we explore. Are there limitations? How much is too much? Mark tells it this way. Well, Jesus was in Bethany reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper. A woman came with an alabaster jar, a very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you and you can help them any way you want. But you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. I love this story because I find myself not in the shoes of this lady lavishing gifts on Jesus Christ, but more in the shoes of the crowd rebuking people harshly. Like, let's not get carried away, you guys. Let's not fill that yogurt cup too high. Let's just take it easy, you know. Uh, I wonder what would happen if you said to your spouse, I was really inspired by that story in Mark 14 about one year's worth of wages lavished on Jesus. Let's give one year's worth of wages to the backpack giveaway out there. It's like, whoa, let's take it easy. You know, one year of wages, that seems like a lot. At a certain point, isn't giving so much to God a waste? And there's no wisdom there. Now, I'm, of course, not telling you to love the Lord without any wisdom or without any forethought or without any planning, but I'm sure we've all heard this message before that when you're trying to do your best to follow God with your whole heart, people start talking about maybe you've gone too far. You know, why do you waste your time going to church on Sunday? What a waste. Why do you waste your time giving money in the offering? What a waste of money. Why do you go to Mary Poppins and do parking? What a waste of an evening. You might even go to Dawn Patrol on Wednesday morning for men's Bible study. What a waste of a Wednesday. Why do you spend so much time in prayer reading your Bible? What a waste of time. It feels especially so sometimes, I think, in those behaviors which nobody else sees. Have you had people talk to you like this? Like you're wasting your time following him? Like you're giving too much? Like you're going too far and they just tell you to take it easy? I think, though, the true waste would be in stopping short And in limiting our love for God. And listening to those people who say, don't do so much. Don't love so hard. Don't give so much. Maybe they're just jealous. I don't know. True ways would be stopping short and limiting our love for God. One of the things we're trying to teach our boys is uh, we're even calling it a family motto. It's go the extra mile. 
Right, so our boys are not that old, um, so they're not great at stuff yet, but we're working on it. So when, you know, you clear the table, um, bring your bowl to the sink, that's step one, but then go the extra mile, rinse the bowl, put it in the dishwasher, right, the extra mile. Now, many who have done dishes know that, like, caked on raisin bran, you can't get that off later, right? You got you to gotta rinse it and you got to put it in there. I can see we don't have a lot of raisin bran fans in the proud, but it's great. You should check it out. Um, and so in so doing, we're teaching our kids to go the extra mile, but then they find that the extra mile is kind of a trick. It's actually still kind of reaching the minimum, you know? So to go the extra mile to put your sink from the sink to the dishwasher, that's just minimum standard, right? So to a three-year-old, it feels like a lot of extra steps, and to somebody who wants a clean kitchen, it feels like bare minimum. You know what I'm talking about? So even the extra mile is bare minimum, and that feels like a bait and switch a little bit, doesn't it? Like we're talking a lot about all the work we have to do to love God and how much is enough. It's never enough, right? How much is too much? It's never too much. When can you quit? Never. When do you get a break? No break, right? It's just like, man, this is a heavy burden and I feel crushed by this. There's a lot of guilt hiding around all these corners that I haven't done enough for God. I don't feel enough love for God. We can't possibly live up to his standard. It feels Guilty, doesn't it? This kind of reminds me of the time that my wife uh, made a birthday gift for her mom. All right, so this is hearsay. I was not around at this time, so you may not prosecute me criminally in court. Um, this is back in the day of puffy paint. You guys remember puffy paint? You can like put it on sweatshirts. It's very cool in like 1988. <laughs> and so uh, Tara had like forgot that it was her mom's birthday and she was hurrying in like the last hour before the party to make this present. And she's like, it's fine. Moms are obligated to say everything is great, you know. And so she and her sister kind of like mail in this puffy paint sweatshirt, put it in the gift bag, open it up. Happy birthday, mom. We love you. You're the best. And Tara's mom, and forgive me for reporting the news. Again, I wasn't there. And she said, this isn't that good. This is not a good sweater. And that feels kind of like mean. Like, come on, grandma. Like, sick burn. She's a kid, but... Grandma knew there was more in there. She wasn't grandma at the time, just mom. She got promoted later on. Um, And it feels like maybe that's what I'm telling you. Like you're doing your best to build this puffy paint sweater for the Lord and I'm standing up here like it's not enough. Work harder, do more, more coal. And in some ways that's true. I think we wimp out a lot, you know, and we can do more and we can give more and we just pretend that we can't, but we really can. And so I want this to hit you with some level of challenge. I do. But not completely, right? Because the truth of the matter is we can't ever do enough love for God. We lack the ability. We're just not perfect. You can't make a sweater so good that God would want to wear it. You just can't. You're a kid. Sometimes we feel like God is across a canyon, far away. There's like this ditch between us and him. And we do have to build that bridge. We have to fill up that canyon with enough good deeds, with enough prayers, with enough giving, with enough service, with enough avoiding bad things. And eventually, if we fill it up enough, we can kind of walk across it. And finally, God will be happy to have us come home. We'll be like, here's your sweater. I made it. And he's like, finally, this is great. But the truth is, that's not how it is. In fact, we love God because he first loved us. And this is the most important piece of the whole shebang this morning. 
we love God because he first loved us. The ball is in God's court to build this bridge between us and him. It's not in our own. And that's really good news. If you feel crushed by the fact that you can't love God enough, like the good news is he loves you anyway. He accepts you anyway. He's invited you into his family anyway. Jesus doesn't ask us to love him more than he already has shown us love by his sacrifice on the cross. Our love for God is really only like a pale shadow of what he has done for us anyway. I love how the Apostle Paul puts it in Philippians chapter 2. He says, and in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. You guys, this is the way that the gap has been crossed, and this is the way that we get a relationship with God, and this is the way that we find strength to love him with our whole selves, not because we're good enough and have worked hard and have unlocked the key, but because he loved us first. We can love him in return. Jesus has invited us home, and when you're home, you're a family, and when you're family, you love one another, albeit imperfectly. You know, how many of us are going to go over to the children's ministry and pick up our kids from church today? Please pick up your kids from church today. And they're going to hand you like the tiny craft that they've made, like their drawing or their, or whatever it's going on back there. And then you tell your kids, you know, where's, this, is, this is no Rembrandt. You know, this, where's my Da Vinci? This should be more magnificent. You know, I can't Instagram this, you know. Why can't you do better? Get back in there. You know, in fact... I'm going to borrow some supplies from your teacher. We'll work on this at home, right? See me after class. This, this is not good. Um, because actually, spoiler alert, like there, it's not good. Like a three-year-old's drawing, this is just not that good. And, <laughs> but you're thrilled with it when they give it to you. You don't care that it's no Rembrandt. You know it's not. And you don't care because it's a reflection of the relationship that they have with you. They want to give you even this tiny, small gift. And you love it. And it... When you sneak that into the trash can on the way out of the kids' ministry area, like it, it really gets you. You don't care what they produce. You don't care what level of artist they are. You just love your kid and you love what they do. That's a beautiful thing about being a parent. How can you love this kid who gives you almost nothing back and in fact just takes all the time? But you love them. You love them. And I'm so happy to be at this church where so many of you love my kids and serve in kids' ministry and it's a blessing, Right? We love kids, and that's how God sees us, you guys. He doesn't care that we can't do a Rembrandt for him or a Da Vinci or hand him a beautiful, perfect life. In fact, we reach up with our tiny, silly, broken lives to him, and I think he's thrilled with that. I think he really loves that we want to try to love him, even if we're not all the way there. He makes the way. He's the perfect one. We're not. That's okay. He invites us in. We love him because he first loved us. And when we love him with our heart, with our soul, and with our strength, with everything that we have, it's up to him to perfect it. And that is good news. 
As we turn our hearts this morning back to worship and song, I've asked Brian and the, and the team to sing for us, with us, a song called Reckless Love. And the message of this song is about how God breaks down barriers, tears down walls, never stops, never relents, always pursues us. It's good news. And this morning, maybe you've felt God pursuing you in your heart. And I want to encourage you, make yourself easy to find. Open yourself up, accept that love from him. In our brokenness as people, sometimes it's hard for us to give love away and sometimes it's hard for us to receive love in the way that we ought. And God loves you. He wants to bless you with it. Make yourself easy to be found. Quit hiding. Don't make it about work and doing more and loving God with more strength, but receive from him the love he has for you and then you can turn around and reflect it back to him and to others. We love him because he first loved us in this way. Will you join me in prayer?